I defy the armies of the living God. And when Saul and Israel heard, they were afraid. And again, by this time, the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, was upon David. And if there was ever a time that Saul needed it, needed the spirit of God, it was now. He needed to be empowered to have boldness, to have courage. And there, it just wasn't there. It just wasn't there. And he was the only match for Goliath, and he was shaking in his boots. And the rest of his army became complicit in his cowardice. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today, our scripture says, And the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Goliath issued a bold challenge to the army of Israel. When they heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. This was Goliath's exact intention in issuing the challenge. The reason why he came out with full battle equipment and paraded in front of the Israelite army was because he wanted them to be dismayed and greatly afraid. Goliath defeated the Israelites on fear alone. However, we will see that there will be one who stands up against Goliath. Now here's Pastor Rob. Them are fallen ones. But notice what it says in Numbers 13, 33. It says, and this is speaking of when the, the Jews were going into the promised land. Remember, there were uh, 12 spies that went into the land. And it says they were, there we saw the giants, literally the Nephilim, the descendants of Anak, come from, who came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, so we were in their sight. And so we know these Nephilim are a race of giants, and then in Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 28, it says, where can, we, where can we go up? Our brethren have discouraged our hearts, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. Moreover, we have seen the sons of Anakim there. And so we have Anakim here in the, in the, in the genealogy. So all we have to do is fill in some of these blanks. And Joshua chapter 15 gives us the filling in of those blanks. It says, Now Caleb... When they were dividing the land after they came into the promised land, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, he gave a share among the children of Judah, according to the commandment of the Lord to Joshua, namely Kirjath Arba, remember that, which is called Hebron. And Arba was the father of Anak. Anak. So we have the Nephilim, Arba, he gave birth to Anak, and then the, the result of the offspring of Anak were the Anakim. And it says Caleb drove out the three sons of Anak from there, and it gives their names there. And then finally, in Joshua eleven twenty two, it says, None of the Anakim were left in the land um, of the children of Israel. They remained only in Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. And where did Goliath come from? Gath. So this race of giants continues. And so we, we can see that, uh, let me see, did I miss anything there? I think I got everything. 
So this is a proposed genealogy of Goliath. And, and there is some speculation of, of, some, of, of the last part, but we believe he's uh, part of the Anakim nonetheless. But let's go ahead and move on to verse uh, 5. Notice what Goliath had. He had a bronze helmet, and you can go ahead and shut this off, Scotty. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. 5,000 shekels, that's roughly between 125 to 200 pounds of brass on him. That weighs more than most of you ladies in the room. Uh, actually, if you're, actually, probably all of you. Let me just say all of you. Yeah, that's safe to say, right? It weighs much more than any of you. So um, (laughs) I'm in deep water here, aren't I? Um, So that's a lot of weight to carry around on you. Notice, and he had bronze armor on his legs and bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, which is approximately 15 to 25 pounds on on, on a spear that he's got. 15 or 25 pounds just on the head of that thing. I mean, it's like throwing a bowling ball like this, right? You got a 15-pound, 25-pound bowling ball, and you got that at the end of a piece of wood. That wood is probably that big around, and it's got the, you know, I mean, commission getting hit by that. All I can say is good night. And notice... And a shield-bearer went before him, as if this guy wasn't already a formidable foe. He's got somebody going before him, holding his shield uh, before him. Goliath, and I've said this before, he, he was a genetic nightmare. There was something really, this whole race of giants, uh, one of Goliath's brothers, we believe he's a brother of his, he actually had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. This guy had 24 digits. I mean, this is like Three Mile Island scary kind of people. You know, something, mutation, went, I mean, who knows what that was. But again, it, we, it could be a, a spiritual thing. You know, these uh, angels back in Genesis, there, there's a lot about that, but we're not going to get into. But very interesting race of people. Notice in verse 8, Then he stood, and he cried out to the armies of Israel, and he said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? He's taunting them, am I not a Philistine? And you, the servants of Saul, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Notice the, just the disdain, the, the arrogancy, the pride of this genetic nightmare, Goliath. He's just the biggest bully you've ever seen. He's the kind of guy in high school, guys. He would always be the big guy on, and, and the biggest guy in the, in the school. And he was just always beating you up and taking your lunch money. You know, that kind of individual. Just fierce and ugly and, and rude. The kind of guy you just wanted to beat up yourself, you know. And, and this is who Goliath was. In his worldview, Goliath's worldview would say this. Might makes right. The bigger I am, the more I've got. The bigger, the bigger the weapons, the greater I am. That was his philosophy. You better believe it was, because Goliath was all about the flesh. He was all about the flesh. He was a warrior in his prime. And David was nothing. David was a youth who 
followed sheep around in a pasture. But he was a warrior, and as we've already seen him, shooting his mouth off. What does it say in Proverbs 16, verse 18, the, the verse we know all so well? Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And we are going to see this scripture come to life tonight as we read this event of David and Goliath. Literally, this is what happened to him boasting in all of his pride. And you can almost see, you know, whenever you see somebody opening their mouth and they're that proud, you're just like, oh boy, they're going to fall hard. Eventually they fall hard. And Goliath's day was that day. But notice, God used a shepherd boy who nobody knew about, obscure, nobody even cared about him. Again, you and I know David very well because he's, a, he's a, one of the biggest characters in Israel's history. But I want you to forget all that tonight. I want you to think brand new. Think of that. Nobody knows him. He doesn't even know who he is. Actually, I think he does. He was one of the few people, I think, who knew who he was in God. And God honored him bigly. Can I use that term? Bigly? The Lord honored him bigly. In fact, in Corinthians, Paul tells us, For you see your calling, brethren. This is 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Does this sound like David and Goliath? It fits it right to the T. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. Goliath was about glorifying himself. And David was like, Lord, I'm nothing, but in your hands I'm something. And David was. He was a young boy. He was probably, who knows, maybe he was in his teen, he was in his teen years. Could be 16, 17, 18 years old by the time this battle occurs. But throughout Bible history, we see God doing that same thing. He used Joseph, a man sold into slavery. So his brothers wrong, you know, just got rid of him. He was wrongfully imprisoned. And then he becomes the second in command over all of Egypt and the deliverer of the Jewish people. We see it with Daniel, too. This wonderful young man who was a, a young man, very young man, when he is taken captive, when Nebuchadnezzar comes and takes Israel, takes Judah and and Jerusalem into captivity. He uses him of the royal line captive. An excellent spirit was within him, and God used him to be one of the most influential people in the reigns of Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, and Cyrus. God loves to take the foolish things, foolish things like David, foolish things like Joseph, foolish things, people like Daniel, who is obscure, nobody knows. And he likes to use us. I kind of fall in that category of being a nobody. Seriously, I mean, when you know how great God is and and really who we are and how great his grace is toward us and where we were before we came to the Lord, we were less than nobody. And now we're kind of on the map of being somebody because he knows us and he loves us. He's always loved us. Have you ever felt that way? Living in obscurity? Nobody really knows you. Nobody maybe even really cares. The people who know you love you. That's how David was. See, God can use you. Because I fit, I fit that bill of being nobody <laughs> and being base. <laughs> but when... 
they send out a man like Goliath, and Goliath standing in the field with all of his armor and, and provoking and saying, send out a man, anybody, I don't care, I'm going to rip the skin off his bones. Bring him out, bring him out, come on, let's see what you got. This is called representational combat. Instead of both armies going together and all this collateral damage and all this bloodshed, for some reason, in this occasion, they decide, you know what, we're going to forbear all that. Let's, let's just send out two champions. Let them duke it out. Sometimes I think a presidential race ought to be like that. That'd be kind of fun, wouldn't it? Instead of having the, the debates and all that stuff, just get a, get, put them in a ring and tape up their hands and put on boxing gloves and just have it out. The, the best guy wins, right? So verse 10, the Philistine said, the Philistine, Goliath, this is what he said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and they were greatly afraid. Their knees are shaking together because in each one of those man's hearts, you got to believe that they're thinking, maybe I should go out. Maybe I should go out. Man, I just don't have the guts to do it. And Goliath did this for how many days? 40 days, morning and evening. In the morning he came out, he went away. In the evening he came out. In 40 days you're getting taunted, and every man is thinking about it. At night when they're sleeping, they're thinking, I know he's going to do it tomorrow. Am I going to be the guy? Should I be the guy? Do I even have it within me to do it? Do I believe God? Do I have faith enough in God that I can do this? Oh, I don't. And then they look at their leader, Saul who's head and shoulders taller than anybody, he should have been the one to go out and engage Goliath. Even he is shaking in his boots. And I, I can't say I blame him. I mean, if any one of us were there and, and, the, and it was really happening to us, we'd all be scared. And there's nothing wrong with fear. It's what you do with the fear. Do you cave with the fear? Do you run away from God when you're in fear? Or do you get on your knees and pray to God to give you courage and strength and wisdom and direction? That's the way you should do it. And that's what David, his heart was already prepared because David had a lot of training out there in the pasture with those sheep. He had many predators coming after those sheep, lions and bears. And David defended those animals. He beat them, he killed them for attacking his father's sheep. He had plenty of exercise and practice with that sling and those stones. Can you imagine? I can almost see this, you know, as a young boy. And let me just get carried away here because I think, you know, when I was young, I remember, you know, guys, you remember this when you were little, that there were certain tools that you had. Or even as you grow up, there are certain tools that you have to work with. And you get used to using those tools because you use them every single day. And you're very comfortable with your tool, the one that has, it almost fits your hand. You can almost see your fingerprints on, you know, emblazoned on it. And it's something that you're very familiar with. You've tested it. You've used it so much. You know how it's going to operate under certain conditions, whether it's cold, whether it's hot. This little bearing kind of acts funny when it's really cold and greasy. You know all those things. You know it like you know a person because that tool is something that you use every single day. And a sling and a stone was something that David used every day as he was out there in the fields. And I'm sure he had times where he was just killing time. And just picking up a rock and just winging it around like that and just hitting a tree or, or hitting something. Or maybe even taking a little pebble and hitting one of those sheep in the rear end to get him moving. You just never know what he might have been doing. But he was an excellent shot. He had, he had produced it. <laughs> you had to do that, didn't you? I love it. 
And uh, yeah, and so, you know, he, he would use that. He knew, he knew it. But he knew his God even more. He didn't need fancy things. And so, Saul, I'm sorry, the Philistine, Goliath, I defy the armies of the living God. And when Saul and Israel heard, they were afraid, they were afraid. And again, by this time, the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, was upon David. And if there was ever a time that Saul needed it, needed the spirit of God, it was now. He needed to be empowered to have boldness, to have courage. And it just wasn't there. It just wasn't there. And he was the only match for Goliath, and he was shaking in his boots. And the rest of his army became complicit in his cowardice. The leader was shaking in his boots, and so what does everybody else around him do? I mean, this guy is taller than anybody else. He should be the one. And, and now he's freaking out. He's uns, ins, unsure of himself, very, in, you know, feeling very insecure. And that bleeds off onto other people, doesn't it? That's, so, that's one thing that made some of the greatest generals in U.S. history when they were fighting in World War II and World War I, some of the greatest generals would just look at fear and they just had this leather look about them. They're like, we're going to go in and we're going to rip them apart. Even though inside they're dying inside thinking, I don't think I'm going to make it today. But their men followed them because they had, they had courage and they just went after it. That's the kind of person they needed at that time, but it wasn't, it wasn't happening. But see, David had a secret that Saul knew nothing about. And Zechariah... Um, um, actually, I'm going to get to that. I, I got a little ahead of myself. Verse 12, it says, Now David, he was the son of, the, of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years, in the, in the days of Saul. And when you think about Bethlehem or Ephrathite of Bethlehem, what does that make you think of? It immediately made me think of the prophecy of Jesus in Matthew, or I'm sorry, in Micah 5 verse 2 where it says, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth are from old, from everlasting. Speaking of who? Jesus. And this is the place where Jesus was born, also the place of where Jesse lived, where David was born. It was the place where Jesus was born. And now in this place, and then it says, the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to battle. The names of the three sons who went to the battle. We learned these guys' names in the previous uh, chapter. Eliab, the firstborn, next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. And these were the oldest sons of Jesse who passed before Samuel, if you remember, in the previous chapter. And so David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul, which makes sense. They were the oldest, they were part of the army, and so they went. We don't know uh, much about the four other brothers. It's interesting that later on in this chapter, we will see that Eliab, who was the oldest, who ridiculed David so badly when he came, when he, we're going to see this shortly, he ridicules him for coming to the battle. But later on, when David does become king, who does he put in charge of Judah as far as uh, leadership? He puts his brother, Eliab. What grace. Can you imagine that? I mean, th- these are real brothers. Think about it, guys. Think of you being, I'm, I'm the youngest in my family, and my brother is you know, six years older than I am. That would be like him ridiculing me and really putting me down, making me feel horrible, and always had, you know, I mean, from David, this is probably a common thing between the two of them. 
And then finally, David becomes king. <laughs> he could have his brother put to death or put his, have his brother you know, shine the chariot wheels or something. He could do anything. But he makes him head over, in his, in his administration, the head over the tribes of Judah. In his administration. What grace. And again, that's the kind of character we see in David that we didn't see in Saul. But verse 15, it says, But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Remember in the previous chapter that David was recruited by Saul to come and play whenever he had that spirit come upon him, that David would play the lyre or the harp and and soothe Saul. And so sometimes he would go back from Saul's, uh, you know, occupying that position at times. And he would go back to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And notice how faithful David was. He didn't leave those sheep. He left them with a keeper, certainly. Some, maybe somebody else in the family. Maybe the, the next oldest from him. Maybe he kept the sheep while David was ministering to Saul. But it says in verse 17, Then Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves, and run to your brothers at the camp. So he's in Bethlehem. He runs. And he's got these supplies to bring to those three eldest brothers to bless them. Because right now, there's really not a battle. It's just 40 days of Goliath coming out taunting night and day and everybody else quaking in their boots. That's what it was. And so David comes and he brings his brothers some victuals, some some food. And notice that David does it. He doesn't argue. He's a very obedient young man. And just like Jesse sending his son David, God the Father, we see a lot of the characteristics of Jesus in the life of David because Jesse sent his son to be the Savior. (laughs) He didn't know it at the time, but but Jesse sent his son David, and he ultimately was going to be a Savior of of Israel, a Savior. But what does it say in 1 John 4.14? And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. We see a lot of these same uh, characteristics of the Son of God, Jesus, and we see that in David, some of these characteristics. And notice what he said to him. He says, "Carry and also carry these ten cheeses to the captain of their thousands. So the, the, the thousand, the, the, the regiment that his brothers belonged to, that captain over that thousand, David or Jesse said, take these cheeses to him, and he can distribute those to the guys, and, and maybe they can enjoy that. And then also, see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. So, verse 19, so Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. They really weren't fighting. They were yelling and, and, and stuff like that, but really nothing was happening. So David arose, verse 20, in the morning. He left the sheep, notice, with a keeper, And he took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to the fight and shouting for the battle. And so, again, David, this young man, faithful and obedient, unlike his predecessor, Saul. Just listening and doing what his dad had told him. You know, that was one thing, a hallmark of David that we never saw in Saul. And it's a a good it's a good characteristic for you and I to be obedient. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of 1 Samuel. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.